Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson and joining me as always from Madrid in Spain is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother. How are you doing? Oh man, I have stories to tell you. How am I doing? I Okay, so I'm in Boston right now. Um, I had a birthday last week. On Wednesday, I turned, I turned 40 years old. And then uh, at the same time, I was coming down with some illness. I had like a throat infection, which then moved to my nose and I was running like a faucet. And then it, now it's moved into my chest. So I can't breathe very well and I'm coughing a lot. So that's that's what's going on inside. But I'm in Boston as like a birthday present from my girlfriend, Megan. So on Friday, I live in Buffalo, New York, which, believe it or not, is really kind of like a podunk provincial town in a lot of ways. We're at Buffalo Airport. We're trying to fly to Boston. The plane breaks, and there's just like no other way for us to fly to Boston on Delta from the Buffalo Airport. So we wind up driving to Boston that night. And so Megan, my girlfriend, and I, we were talking over our options, you know, like, well, they've delayed the flight until 6.30 a.m. tomorrow morning, Saturday morning. or So we could do that. Or we could try and get on this other flight, which we did try to do, and we couldn't, you know, flying standby. Or we could try uh, renting a car and driving one way because we have a return flight. And then the car rent, you know, renting a car was just ridiculously expensive. So I floated the idea, like, what if we just, you know, didn't go? Like, I'm in the middle of a semester here. I've got school going on. Like, I am busy. I have things happening. Plus, I actually don't want my birthday to be that big a deal. So, like, what if we just, what if we just called it off and just didn't go? And she looked at me like I had, like, insulted her family, and just she just insisted, "Okay, we're going." And it turns out that the reason we absolutely had to come to Boston for this trip was she got my three best friends in my life to be here when we when we got here so uh these are like friends from california um and one one lives in new york one lives in chicago the other still lives in southern california but they're all friends from like orange county days when i was living there or san francisco and so it was like the best surprise in the whole world my three best friends and i and megan and um my buddy richard's uh fiance gia are, we're all staying in a beautiful Airbnb here in Boston, right next to Boston College. And um, one of them is actually sleeping right outside. I can see him sleeping right now. So that's what's going on with me. And then I've also got all this illness. And like, so we didn't get into Boston until like two in the morning. And then my friends opened the door. So I'm completely shocked and exhausted. So then we stayed up for another hour or so hanging out. So yet Saturday was... Uh, was a mess but also like we did some walking tour stuff we watched the barcelona game at a cool place in boston um or cambridge actually called phoenix landing 
it's a good spot if you're ever in the Boston area and you want to watch um, a football match. I would highly recommend it. They have tons of TVs and they're a uh, very friendly staff. So yeah, that's how I'm doing. What's up with you? Wow, that's that's a really great surprise. I mean, it's always great, um, you know, to have your friends come out like that and uh, surprise you. Uh, happy birthday, by the way! It's now we are officially into the 4040 club here. So at the Barca yeah. Talk uh, podcast, um, I'm doing good. I'm just, um, you know, just getting back from London. Um, I got back on from London on Tuesday and just kind of getting back into the routine of things as well. Um, this weekend, I just took it easy, and that's about it. I just watched the Barca game last night and I was just here at home and just trying to enjoy the last days of fall here in Madrid before it gets really cold here. And you met up with someone in London that uh, that was that last minute or tell us about who you met up with in London. So yeah, there's another Barcelona podcast that does a really great job on their podcast. Um, it's a little bit of a different style show than ours. So I don't, you know, I always have been in contact with them just through Twitter, just, you know, uh, retweeting their content and they do it for us as well. And one of their guys, uh, Francesca, actually lives in London. And so we had talked a while and he said, you know, if you're ever in London, um, you know, DM me and we can get a drink and, you know, just hang out or whatever. And sure enough, I was in London. I didn't have anything to do. So we met up and, and we hit it off. Uh, he's, he's a Catalan. He's a Barcelona through and through. Um, we had a good time and, uh, we actually did an interview, uh, with each other where I interviewed Francesc for our show. I gave him the Andres Gomez, uh, famous interview questions. And he also interviewed me for their podcast, um, doing a bunch of questions about my, Kool-Aid them and fandom for Barcelona. So it was a really great experience to meet him in person and also just another fellow Kool-Aid, obviously, you know, first virtually. And then obviously now uh, we got to meet up in physical 3D form. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. And actually, we have that interview uh, right now. Let's go ahead and listen to that interview between you and Francesc from the Barcelona podcast. All right. So I'm here with Francesc from the Barcelona podcast. And so we just met up in London last weekend while I was uh, attending the NFL game in London, and we decided to meet up since we're both fans of each other's podcast, and we met up in London to talk about our Barca fandom, and we thought it would be really fun to have kind of like a crossover interview slash uh, talk about our favorite team, Barcelona. So, hello, Francesc. How are you doing? Hola, Gabriel. Um, it's great to talk to you again, man. Um, it was a pleasure to meet you in London. And uh, although it was brief, um, I, I sort of look back really fondly on the time we spent together. And um, yeah, I, as, as you mentioned, I've been an avid listener of your podcast for a long, long time now. Basically, since you teamed up with Brian, um, I think that you guys do a fantastic job and I am honored to be part of your show. Well, thanks. And I think you guys do an, an amazing job with your news about Barca. Um, I know you've been um, writing for the Barcelona podcast for a long time. How many years have you had the Barcelona, uh, actually not the podcast, but the Barcelona blog? How long have you had that? Well, we're about to get to 10 years now. It's barcablog.com is a website that we started. Um, when everything sort of kicked off, there weren't many people writing about Barca in English. Um, and now, obviously, that market is saturated. We still do it. And, um, you know, listeners can still go and, and, and find us there. But um, I thought... Like I think like you thought as well um, earlier in the summer that there was a space for a Barcelona podcast to be up. So we just called it The Barcelona Podcast, which, you know, we're not very original like that. And uh, we've been publishing um, 
ever since, really. We've got 45 episodes under our belt and the 46 episodes coming out next week. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, so if you <clears throat> if you have a chance to check out another Barcelona podcast, I definitely recommend the Barcelona podcast. They do a great job of uh, bringing the news and notes of Barcelona. And now they're going to be doing at the end of the week once a week. So if you need a Barca fix at the end of the week, you can definitely check them out at the end of the week and then check our podcast at the beginning of the week. And hopefully that'll fulfill your Barcelona fix, as we as we like to say. So hopefully that'll help with uh, fulfilling all your podcast needs. Um, so we're going to kind of do this kind of free form. We're going to interview each other about different questions. I'm going to actually ask Francesc the famous Andres Gomez questions that we talked about in one of our recent podcasts, and then he's going to ask me some of his questions that he had for me. So I'm going to go ahead and start, Francesc, with the famous L test questions from Andres Gomez. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. Let's do it. I was, I was so, 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 it was hilarious. You know, when you guys did it, I was driving down to school in the morning and um, I was laughing to myself. So yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be doing the Gomez test. Yeah, I mean, hopefully your answers are a little bit more exciting. So we'll see, Francesca. I know not a lot of pressure, but let's see how it goes. All right. So the first question of L test is a city. So just tell me a city and why. Barcelona, because it's the best city in the world, and that's where I was born. And uh, a, a certain Lionel Andres Messi seems to play for that team, so I think it's quite an obvious answer. All right, so I think that's a great answer. So I'm pretty biased. I think Barcelona is a great city. It's definitely in my top five, so I would agree with that. All right, so question number two here. A place for you to, to dis disconnect. Right, okay. I'm going to go for Huelva. Um, hopefully our listeners around the world have, or actually hopefully they haven't heard of Huelva. Huelva is a coastal city, um, you would say a town, uh, in southern Spain. That's where my mom is from. Uh, so my mom was born in Andalusia and then, you know, they moved up to Barcelona uh, in their teenage years. It's um, a little bit like, say, Malaga, but without all the business. Um, it's a fair drive from Sevilla. It's around 90 kilometers off to the south. And uh, I strongly recommend that if you ever go to, to Spain, especially southern Spain, you check Huelva out, although it is relaxing because not many people are there. So I would say check it out, but don't make too much noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to keep it kind of a secret for yourself, right? Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm going to backtrack that answer. Um, it's not Huelva. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So just to compare your answer to Andres Gomez, Andres Gomez said various. So we're just going to keep that in track, all right? So question number three, uh, a movie. And I'll even put, like, your favorite movie. I'll even ask you that. Your favorite movie. Okay. Um, I'm going to go for The Matrix. And I'm going to go for The Matrix because it was the first movie that I watched as a young grown-up and actually thought, yeah, this is sort of taking cinema to the next level. I like the fact that there are two realities sort of, parallel to each other um it's got fantasy it's got fighting scenes and um you know i wouldn't be a barca fan if i wasn't a fighter myself so i think that uh, throughout my growing up years i identified with neo from the matrix for a long while obviously he's way cooler than me because i'm really not that cool at all but um i think that's my choice all right so i think that's a good choice too it has everything you kind of want right it has a little bit of romance action kung fu really great fighting scenes uh, so I, I think it's a great choice. Um, just to compare your answer, um, Andres Gomez said, uh, that's a great question, and he didn't know. So that's just the comparison. So um, we'll, go on to the, yeah, we'll go on to the next question. Um, 
Tell us uh, your favorite song. My favorite song? My favorite song is Wonderwall by Oasis. Um, obviously, I think listeners of the podcast have already realized English is not my first language. Um, I grew up speaking Catalan and Spanish at home um, because of what I explained earlier with my mom and my dad. My dad's from Catalonia. So um, I was learning English, not desperately, but I was beginning to be exposed. I loved the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air growing up. So I was always doing the Carlton dance around and um, pretending to be Will Smith with my funky T-shirts and, and shirts and, you know, the cap backwards and all that nonsense. But um, I think Wonderworld is the song that really hit um, that, that particular time of my sort of English development, really. And it got me interested in the language and, and the culture. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I moved to London in the first place, because I wanted to be cool, but like the Gallagher brothers and the Beatles. So I, I would say Wonderwall as well has a theme and has a sort of um, heart to it, which is all about improving, all about being idealistic and all about getting better in life. And um, that represents me quite quite well. All right. So that's a good answer. I, I definitely am an Oasis fan. They were one of my band's that I followed when I was in high school because I'm uh, a little bit older. But, um, yeah, I definitely love Oasis. Um, yeah, so tell me, do you have a favorite uh, Spanish song? Uh, good question. I like El Canto del Loco, which in English would be the, the songs of the crazy guy, um, which uh, I don't all of them. There are many. I th- I'm going to go for Besos, which is Kisses in Spanish. And uh, that was one of the songs that whenever came on in the club when I was you know, um, let's just say fishing, um, always led to spirited things. So <laughs> I think Bessos is a good choice. Um, I also like the rhythm and I like it's up-tempo and upbeat and yeah, it represents me quite well as well. All right, great. Um, all right, so let's go move on to the next question. The next question is about reading. So uh, your favorite book or maybe the last book you read. And just to compare, Andres Gomez said he didn't know. So I don't know if he reads or he knows how to read. I don't know. That's kind of a weird kind of answer. But well, Frances, hopefully you have a more interesting answer than Andres Gomez here. Well, I hope I do. I mean, I wouldn't have to try very hard to have a better answer than that, would I? Um, so yeah, my favorite book, I've read obviously many books in my life, but the one that sort of stuck with me is a book called El Metodo Guardiola, which is the Guardiola Method. And basically, it combines everything I love. Um, it's leadership and it is um, understanding of team and networking and the power of collaboration. So um, in the Metodo de Guardiola, or El Metodo Guardiola in Catalan, um, you get to learn how Guardiola made Barca the best team in the world, but not necessarily from a, I positioned Messi on this position and then I told Iniesta to do whatever it was. Um, it was more in-depth in terms of um, how to build a team, make it stronger, and how to move things forward together as a team, um, not being a dictator, but being firm and fair with everything you do. So I think um, the person that I am today is, in a way, sort of up to the findings and reasonings and and mechanisms described in that book. Great. So that's almost like a, I would almost consider it like a CEO type of book, you know, a book that you read when you want to learn psychologically also how to uh, better your team, you know, so how to have the best performance out of your team. So that's a really great recommendation. I'm going to check it out. I haven't read the book, but I definitely would be interested in reading that type of book, especially learning more about uh, Guardiola, because, you know, obviously Guardiola has, well, is, you know, remains as one of the top three coaches of all time in Barcelona history. So I think it would be a, a definitely an interesting read. Yeah, undoubtedly. I think also everything he brought to the club, you know, it's not necessarily the number of collective trophies, which obviously was insane. And 
I would like to say that it will be repeated again, but it's going to take many years for that to, to happen. Um, I would say it's the way that Barca were playing at the time, you know, the collaboration, the fact that La Masia was at the heart of the team, um, players coming through with him, like Busquets and Pedro, obviously getting the best out of Xavi and Puyol, and obviously Messi coming through, being able to nurture sort of the surroundings of Messi. So having Eto and Ronaldinho playing a, a mentorship role, but obviously not of overshadowing his progression. I thought that Guardiola, because of his methods, because of his philosophy, but also the players he had at his disposal. Also the fact that the board at the time really did know what they were doing. Um, signing players like Yaya Toure and Abidal, it, and even Seydou Keita was crucial and key for, for that team to, to be successful. Then obviously signing Villa and, um, you know, many players that improved the team over the years and, and make them, in a way, the best team in football history. Great. And I, you know, since you're, a, as we talked when we were in London, that you are a massive Lakers fan, um, the former coach of the Lakers, uh, Pat Riley, wrote a really great book that's very similar to this book. And it's called the um, the Winner Within, and he talks about the same type of characteristics. So I think if you take the most famous, most successful coaches, they have kind of the same uh, path or um, attitude towards their players and their team. So I'll, I'll recommend you the book, uh, the Winner Within. It's called from Pat Riley, since you're such a big Lakers fan. Well, there we are. That's a proper exchange there. You read my book, <laughs> yeah. I'll read yours. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Perfect. All right, so we're going on. We only have a couple questions left here. So I'm going to ask you, since especially now that you live in London and you've been away from Spain for a while, so give me your favorite Spanish food or your favorite typical Spanish food that you miss living in London. Okay, so um, from London, we in a way, we've got everything now. Um, there's supermarkets that have like Spanish week, like Lidl and Aldi, they've got that sometimes. So in a way, not, not a lot because anything that I need, I can get. But um, there's one thing that we don't really get much in here. There's two things. One of them is Colacao, which is like Nesquik, like um, a chocolate powder, which you can make milk with. And um, every Spaniard and every Catalan person in London normally cries when they see a pot of Colacao around. <laughs> because obviously, it's also, it's, it's also very um, identifiable. You know, it's bright yellow with a bright red top. So that would be one. But um, being a Catalan, I think Fuet is the one that we really miss. It's a, it's a type of chorizo but sort of Catalan version of it, and it's far less, I would say, spicy. So that is something that, that I do miss, and it's the first thing that I go to the fridge to when I come back home, um, and my mom obviously knows, and she's got it ready. So, yeah, definitely that. Yeah, so Fuet is one of those things that I love living here in Spain that um, you can get at anywhere. You know, you can get at any grocery store, and it's one of those things I'm, it's super dangerous for me because I think I can eat almost six kilos of it without even noticing because it's so easy to eat, right? It's not spicy. It's just really good flavor and it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's also a lot of kilos that you just said, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> six exactly. kilos is quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, if, if I'm at a party and it's there, I said, <clears throat> oh no, look out because that fuet has no chance. <laughs> and everyone knows and they run away. You know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, so the next question we have here is um, we have a historical person, but I'm going to ask you in a, in a more different way. I'm going to ask you your favorite historical football player outside of Barcelona, outside of FC Barcelona. Outside? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Johan Cruyff, but I think it's quite clear that he played for us. Um, I would say 
that that would be someone who changed the game. But then again, I was going to say Reinhardt, but he plays for Barca as well. Well, let me ask you this, Francesc, is, you know, most of your, when you were growing up playing and watching football, was it always centered first around FC Barcelona and then Spain second? Or how did that work out when you were younger following football? Yeah, that's certainly how it went. Um, I was going to the Camp Nou from a very young age. Um, I was fortunate enough that my family always sort of um, were following Barca and they wanted me to be a follower as well. And uh, going to the Camp Nou with my grandpa when I was really young really helped. Then my brother played for Barca himself uh, in the under-12s. He was teammates with Andres Iniesta. And I was lucky enough to go to every single match that season. So all the historical people that I look up to throughout football history pretty much belong to Barca. Uh, Johan Cruyff obviously being the master of everything that we are today and um, really influential coach, manager and, and player when he came as a player as well because he changed the destiny of the club back then. But obviously what he did in the 90s um, and resulted in everything that we know today, winning the first Champions League for the club, um, educating Guardiola and Guillermo Amor and players like that who are right now a sporting director, a very successful manager and then, you know, everything came from, from them. So I think figure outside of Barca, I can't really think of anybody because the people that I'm thinking are Real Madrid and I'm not going to choose a Real Madrid person <laughs> to say in this podcast. So you, you've got what no about, chance. What, do you have a favourite uh, dream team player? My favourite dream team player was Stoichkov. Um, because of the oh, Francesc, because Francesc, I think I think we're brothers because Stoichkov is one of my favorite players of all time. There we are, we're brothers from another mother, there, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, Risto, yeah, yeah. Risto Stoichkov, yeah, I liked him because obviously <clears throat> he always left everything he had on the pitch. You know, they, he was taking no nonsense. He was always direct. Um, he would step on referees if that needed doing. Um, really passionate. Um, I remember watching him live in the Camp Nou and he always widened the pitch and he would stand right on top of the line in order to sort of drive forward, um, most of the time connecting with Romario. I mean, the, the two, three years they had together was legendary and I haven't seen anything like it. I've seen th things differently, obviously, with Messi and Eto'o and Ronaldinho and Villa, etc. But the way that they connected was, was unique because Romario was not your... Uh, usual number nine, your tall striker who dominates, e.g. Ibrahimovic. Um, he was tiny. He wasn't as speedy as Messi, but he was incredibly gifted in tight spaces. And Stoikov was, in a way, the opposite. He was power. He was um, determination, relentless, always dominating the ball. And, you know, in front of goal, he was lethal. He was selfish when he needed to be. But he was always communicative as well. So I would say between Stoichkov and Romario, that's a partnership we've never seen again. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> when I first uh, heard of uh, Stoichkov was in the 1994 World Cup. Since I lived outside of Barcelona, I, you know, I wasn't a Barcelona fan at that moment yet. And I'll never forget because, you know, I've always, you know, since I'm American, I followed U.S. soccer for a long time. And Mexico is like the real Madrid for me for our national team. And I'll just never forget, Stoichkov had one of these most amazing counterattack goals you'll ever see in World Cup history against Mexico, where he upper 90'd this ball on the run with his powerful left foot. And I remember watching, and I said, who is this guy? And when, now when I look back at it, I was like, it's amazing now that he was part of the dream team. And... Since I was left-footed, I always dreamed, I always dreamed that I could have a powerful left foot just like Stoichkov. Unfortunately, 
it was probably maybe 40% of that, if that. So I'm sure you had plenty of quality anyway, man. Um, I remember that I remember that game too. Um, it was obviously he had already won the European Champions League for us um, two years before that. And I remember when Stoichkov signed that no one really knew what he was going to do. But that is the thing compared to the current board of Barca. Back then with Johan Cruyff and, and the you know technical directors behind him, um, you could always sign a player who most people hadn't heard of. Obviously, it wasn't the social media-driven world that we live in today. And then surprisingly, sort of getting to the very top of world football. So undoubtedly, um, th- these days, football has changed and the current board are not really able to do things like that, which is a shame, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. All right, so really great. Let's see, you know, it's like one of those things sometimes, you know, when you just have favorite players like this, you just... Your bond becomes stronger. So, Francesca, I think we're becoming stronger friends over the weeks already, you know, just from talking, meeting in the pub, and now our love for Histo Stoichkov. Of course, man. Uh, It is an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And um, being able to talk to the listeners of your podcast um, is is an honor. So, um, yeah, we're going to do the interview the other way. So uh, I'll feature you on our podcast. That's the Barcelona podcast. And, um, yeah, I can't wait to do that either. So uh, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you soon, Francesc. Of course, man. Thank you. So you've proven, as as we have theorized, you've proven that just about anybody with a pulse could do better and be more interesting on this quiz than Andres that Andre Gomez was, right? Exactly. And you know, I had a I had a fun time meeting up with Francesc at London, um, having a couple pints, talking about Barcelona and our history of Barcelona, and also another great time speaking with him uh, for the podcast. So hopefully we'll speak further. And he's actually going to have a child any day now. So hopefully congratulations on the newborn coming up as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, congratulations to Francesc and uh, hope that goes well. Moving on, you know, it's been kind of a slow week as far as news goes at Barcelona, but in in Spanish football overall, there is this uh, there is a new story to to come out. This just uh, came out on Friday. Apparently, uh, La Liga is going to add video assisted referees next year, and that's according to the president of the RFEF, Juan Luis Larea. Um, Tebas, uh, the president of La Liga and La Liga, have not commented on this yet. But uh, Serie A and Bundesliga, they both use video-assisted referees already. So La Liga, if they do transition to using VARs next year, they will uh, be joining in with the the other major European um, leagues. So what do you think about this? I mean, it's about time. You know, that's the thing. Like, if you want to be a top three or four league of football in the world, you have to have this implemented. It's a must, especially with big games. World Cup does it. Um, Champions League has it. This is just something that should have been done already three years ago. Um, it just gives the referee more power and more evidence to make the correct call. And that's what you want. I know a lot of people always say, well, I kind of don't want to have video replay because it'll slow the game down. But for me, it's a results-oriented business. I want to have the correct call. And obviously, if you have the video to do it and to reverse a call that is incorrect and and make the correct call, then I'm all for it. Uh, You know, in every league in the States, they have instant replay in some sort. And yeah, it slows the game down, but at least you are guaranteed the correct call. That's that's my feeling on it. How how about you? What do you feel about video assisted referee? Well, I saw VAR in use, I think, during an international friendly last year, and it uh, got used twice, uh, once to confirm a call, once to uh, uh, turn over a call. And 
the main thing that uh, that I'm would would be worried about with VARs is yeah the way that it would like interrupt the game, and it slowed it down a little bit, but not that much. It was maybe half you know maybe thirty seconds. Um, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, here in the states with with a uh, with now they have you know replay or you know review in baseball, uh, which is already a slow ass game, um, and then. And then, you know, issues with uh, video replay in uh, American football and all this sort of stuff. Like, the problem with it for me is that the the broadcasters make it such a big deal. If you actually are, are just, like, a little bit cooler about it, the way it plays out in real time is actually fine. Um, and as far as how I've seen it uh, being used in proper football or soccer, uh, it's fine. I think it's better to have a, the right call, and I I just don't want games to be delayed for three five minutes or anything like this while while they're trying to make a call. Apparently, the way that they it's restricted to the circumstances under which they can use it, which I already like. Um, you know, just like really the kind of really high stakes calls. You know, they're not gonna, you're not going to have video review for every possible call. That's good. Um, you have trained referees who are looking at the video so it's just more referees more cooks in the kitchen on that end so maybe that's bad right because maybe the answer is not more referees i don't know but but maybe it is yeah i mean i for me it's just like okay there's so much tvs now right for the game that they should be able to see the angles if the ball crosses the goal you know that's really what it only comes down to that i would want to use the var more just if the ball crosses the line because you know the action happens so quickly and so just getting the right call it doesn't take that long it's you know you have the video replay and just go on with it that's it that's all i really want it for yeah, and it's um it's a little bit different from the goal line technology that has been in use like in FIFA, but um it's uh, because it's actually just it's literally just video replay. A, a referee looks at it, they make they make a call, or you know they'll either confirm or turn over. And you know nowadays the the referee has the headset, so they can communicate easily, and it it can all like flow pretty nicely with the game. So yeah, I I think it's it's a good move to make and it'll, it'll make the game better. I mean, the only way it's going to get better is if they actually make it live, right? Because then you get input from the referee, from the players, and you get the flow of the game and say, okay, next year we need to cut it down even more. But if you never implement it, you can never test it and never improve it. So these are the type of things that we need to do. You know, this not having the replay and the marketing for La Liga are the two things that are keeping it behind, like the EPL and the Bundesliga from being a, a super, super league, you know, to rule the world almost, you know, because these are the type of things that EPL always does really well is their marketing and they're always on top of technology. Yeah. And apparently they're going to run about 70 tests before they actually implement it next year. But so we'll see how that plays out next season. Uh, moving forward, we have a lot of listener comments to get into this week. In fact, I'd say most of the episode today is going to be responding to listener comments. Some of these have kind of backed up over the last couple of weeks, and I wanted to um, bring some of these in. Uh, so first up, we have a message from Ozmi. He uh, got in touch with us on our Facebook page. He says, hey, guys, thank you for all the excellent work. Can you please speak about Delafeu and how amazing he's been so far this season, and especially in that Copa del Rey match? I mean, that pass assist was perfect. The goal, I think he deserves more credit. He needs to start every game. This guy is a beast, and we need to show support. Thank you, guys. I'm looking forward for the next episode. Yeah, thanks, Osmi, for the comment. Um, well, you know, Deuces has been playing 
okay. Like I wouldn't say spectacularly, but I put in my notes here. I don't know if you saw it earlier, but I put here Deuces is the perfect Copa del Rey player. And what I mean, what I mean by that is that it was a great goal he had in the Copa del Rey match, that passed assist and stuff. But those are things that those players have never really seen that type of movement, that type of speed in real life. And so Deuces can kind of like use it as his testing ground, right? The Copa del Rey matches to chest out new, new moves, new things. Um, and so for me, he's a perfect Copa del Rey player. Yeah, I would like to see him play a little bit more, but I also don't think he's had the greatest season. He's he's trying to make his way, you know, getting more comfortable with uh, Suarez and Messi and also what Val Green is asking him to do. But, I mean, he looked great in the Copa del Rey match, but you also have to remember who he is playing against as well. Yeah, and in that Copa del Rey match, you notice that he tried that same move, this move that he's always trying to make, you know, where he's... He's facing inward toward the goal. He's got the defender stalled, and it's it's not a bad move that he has. The only thing is everyone knows he's going to go to the right. He's going to go to the end line. He never goes left. So, I mean, his movement is fine, but the, even then, the Murcio defenders were able to catch him out most of the time, and he tried that move eight or nine times in that match, and most of the times it didn't work because they just knew that he was going to go to the right. It doesn't matter what he shows them. He always goes to the right, so he becomes predictable. And you put him in a match against you know, a, a, a more heavy-hitting team, and they're going to tear him apart with that every time. I mean, Mercia did. So I, I, think, I do think that he's a good player, and I do think that he needs to get more minutes and more experience, and he is going to improve if he gets more playing time. And I don't see why he, that won't happen. I mean, Valverde is going to probably start rotating more once Dembele is back from injury. We might see Delafeu a little bit less. Um, he's starting to rotate Gomez into the front three, which is um, a befuddling and baffling thing that we'll talk about later. But, you know, I I, I do think that Delafeu is good and he should be, be getting, um, you know, continue to play. And he will. Um, but he needs to go left at least half of the time. Even if it's not going to work, even if he's not confident, he needs to just do it so that he can throw off a defender once in a while. Yeah, he needs to do the counter to the counter, right? Like, that's the thing. And, you know, I, I feel like he's going to be a really um, influential player down the road, especially in bigger games, with 10 minutes left in the game, where we need to press even more and press that defense to make them uh, respect that right corner, and Delafeo can do that. So, you know, I definitely think he's going to get more time, more minutes. I just don't think he's going to always be the the starting uh, when it's a tough match. And, you know, uh, you have to think about this, that Delefeu, this project is, you know, this is his first year back fully with the, with the senior team and hopefully gains experience and better confidence that next year he'll even be better and he'll hopefully have a counter to the counter to the counter. Yeah. Do you see him maybe developing like if things go well, I could see him developing into not a being not playing like Pedro, but being at least a reliable enough um, contributor to the team that Pedro was when he was playing at Barcelona. Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that, um, especially just like finding that right wing position. And especially, you know, Barcelona has so many games, you know, that's the thing. Um, Barcelona is unlike, you know, any other clubs you know because they play in Copa del Rey Champions League always like they never have that uncertainty of oh they might play Champions League no so there's always going to be time minutes for these players to develop even more so that's a good comparison
Jason Bryan. I like that Pedro, like almost like a better, stronger version of Pedro. And hopefully, you know, just with some more time and patience, Delafeo can develop into that type of player. Yeah. And then maybe Chelsea will pick him up and then we'll replace him with, you know, some other young winger. <laughs> Now, of course, by that point, uh, Messi will probably be gone, and then it'll it'll be a whole different dynamic in the in the squad that would have to work around. But anyway, uh, let, let's move on to a. Uh, oh, actually, let me just thank Osmi again for that question. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and for all your support. Uh, moving on to another question. This came from uh, Carlos in Houston via our Facebook page. Uh, he says, "We're not playing a beautiful style like we're all used to, but we're winning, and that's what matters." I'm sure we'll pick up our style as the games go by. Visca Barça. So my initial response to this is he's absolutely right. We're not playing the kind of beautiful football that I think we've grown accustomed to. And I was wondering, because I became a fan of Barcelona right in that era where they were playing probably some of the most beautiful football they've ever played. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's debatable. But certainly in recent history, some of the most beautiful football when, you know, you had Xavi, Iniesta, um, in the midfield, well, and Busquets, of course, you had Messi, and then like right when David Villa came in, they were just playing this with Guardiola managing, of course. So you have just such florid, beautiful one-touch football. It was some of the most beautiful stuff. And no, we're not reaching that level of um, aesthetic quality, but we are getting results with Valverde. I mean, this year has been an amazing year so far. Um, and I just wonder, like, were we just spoiled for all those years? Like, can we really expect a Barcelona team to play that beautifully? I think that was really a, a golden time for for the the like attractiveness of their football. I think they're still playing good looking football. They're still playing Barcelona football, you know, and they're also getting results. But what, what's your idea here? Well, let me ask you this, Brian. Would you prefer to win, you know, how we've been winning and it's not the most aesthetically pleasing style or like last year where we had glimpses of, you know, the 4-3-3 and we didn't adjust and we lost some games? I mean, what what do you prefer? I mean, I prefer actually, you know, I have mixed feelings because I'm an artist and I love beauty. Um, I don't mind a loss. Here and there. I mean, of course, I want to win. I, I like I like winning. I like when Barcelona wins. But uh, I'm also okay if they lose, um, as long as it isn't through stupid mistakes. Um, you know, just like bad playing. And I think a lot of our losses last year were results of that. Um, I like watching. I like I like watching the game at its most aesthetically pleasing. But that's just my own like predilection but i understand the point here that like that what matters are the results in and in sport that's always going to be the case my only point on this was really just to point out that yeah maybe we aren't playing as uh, as beautiful a style as we used to but that that's not that's not a, that's never going to be a guarantee we got really lucky for a number of years with both results and beautiful football you know and like of course we'll take the results over the beauty you have to prioritize, and I get that a res- that the results and wins take priority over good looking stuff. Well, that's a, that's the thing, right? Like, it's not for me. It's not the ugliest football. It's not like we're watching like uh, lower tier EPL style football, like where we're just you know chucking the ball up, chasing it, and then they're chucking the ball back to us. You know that type of thing. 
for me, I'm, I've been very pleased with Val Green's, um, decision making. I mean, you know, if our only complaint, especially like on social media, is that we can't agree on the lineup, then we don't really have that many problems right now. You know, we're, we're, we're still always baffled with the Andres Gomez selection and this, but we're winning. And so, if that's our only argument, our only contention with Val Green, then I'm okay with that. The players seem to be responding. Like last night against Athletic Bilbao, that was going to be a tough match, and we pulled the points. And with the with the with the midfield, if you would have told me in the summer summertime, then the midfield of Rakitic, Busquets, Paulinho, and Andres Gomez, and we would have been two nothing at the San Mes, I would have been like, you're crazy. But they were able to do that. You know, that time of the four three three spectacular era with Pep Guardiola is never going to happen again. So everyone needs to. Just remember that. That's never going to happen again. We can aspire to that type of style and possession and that type of thing. But that beauty, that type of games, uh, that span, we will never have that again. So, you know, for me, you know, we want to win trophies. And to win trophies, you have to win matches. And our only rival is Real Madrid. And we have to keep a top and keeping that pressure. So we're going to see, you know, still early in the season, right? We still are trying to figure out Val Green's tendencies and so forth. And, yeah, it's not the most beautiful style but we're winning and to me that's always going to be the most important thing as a Barcelona fan yes absolutely I agree I agree and like you said we're just we're never going to see a a team like we did under Guardiola again or if we do it's going to be a long long time that's a that's a statistical anomaly now this is a fun one uh this this came from Miguel uh, and he reached out through Instagram and this is it's a very like um getting to know you this is like a gomez quiz kind of question uh but miguel asks what are your top five barca players uh mine are one puyol two messi three ronaldinho four xavi and five Henri. and i just i think that it's telling that he puts puyol ahead of messi that's so just in response to miguel's list i think that's a that's a bold and and good decision so, Gabriel, let's start with you. What are your top – who are your top five Barca players? Yeah, so my top five Barca go in order. Number one, Ronaldo, Fat Ronaldo, because he was my first hook, line, and sinker to Barca. Number two, Messi. Number three, Rivaldo. Number four, Puyol. And number five, Ronaldinho. That's a good list also. You have some old school players in there because, like, you have more background in history. Um, my initial response to this question, honestly, is – my top five players for Barcelona are Chabi, 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 and Chabi. I love Chabi. Like, if there's one person on this planet who is single-handedly responsible for me loving FC Barcelona, it is Chabi. I don't just, I just love the way he played. I love the way he did everything that he did. His vision, his his touch, the way he could own the midfield, just everything about him. I loved him. Um, but. To, to actually come up with five different names. Um, I, I, obviously, Xavi's number one. And since I got into Barcelona around 2010, most of my picks are, are going to be fairly recent picks. So Xavi, Iniesta, love Puyol also. I miss Puyol so much. And um, and, and honestly, like it, it took some time for me to really understand how great he is, but Busquets and... Abidal, Eric Abidal, man, he was great. Like, uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a toss up between Abidal and Dani Alves because Dani Alves was such a great, 
right back. Uh, but Abidal was an amazing left back. And yeah, so the, like those are more recent, but that, that's my top five. It's still a great top five. You know, I mean, I, you know, let's take your top five against my top five and roll them out and see who wins, right? Like it'll be a great match and both, you know, both teams would be amazing to watch. Yeah, mine are just a little bit more old school because that's, you know, those are my first memories, just like your first memories of Barca are more recent. Um, those are the players that I just fell in love with watching Barcelona from afar. Now, um, a follow-up here. Miguel uh, had another little point. He And this is some conspiracy theory stuff. I love it. He says, um, I found it curious that Puyol 2.0's number is 23. So we're, uh, Umtiti is now Puyol 2.0 for us. Um, so 2 plus 3 equals 5. Umtiti equals Puyol. You think there's any uh, any significance to that numerology? Oh, it's huge. I mean, that's. I mean, how could you not say it's not huge, right? I mean, when I saw this, right. I was I was crying because I just thought that's like so amazing, right? Like it's so creative to come up with this and even think about it. But I mean, you know, yeah, it's just a great coincidence. But maybe it's not. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I, he really is. Uh, I'm so thankful for for MTT. I'm actually going to talk about that when we get into talking about the athletic match but uh i have a quick question i have a quick question for you um in thanksgiving will you be will he be one of the things you are thankful for <laughs> yeah i think he will you're like uh, i want to thank uh you know my parents my girlfriend and umtiti thank you <laughs> yeah thank you for breaking up all those plays i really really appreciate it i'm very thankful so here's a couple older ones um, that uh, I I wanted to to get to, and they're still relevant. So I don't think there's any problem with bringing these up. So this first one um, also came through Instagram from Aaron. Uh, he says, "Hey there, I listen to your podcast every Monday morning while I'm at work, and it keeps me entertained. I could listen to you guys for a whole day. Thank you, Aaron." But you're insane. Anyway, uh, he says, "I think a good talk point for you to discuss would be about whether Barca should have bought." Aguero instead of Suarez. Very good friend of Messi, and I distinctly remember Messi wanting him there. Good passing play, the Barca way, and arguably the best striker in the Premier League. Thanks, guys. So what do you think? Aguero rather than Suarez? How how, how would that bizarro world have played out? Yeah, who knows, you know? Um, I mean, they just bring two different types of styles of play. I, I definitely think Aguero would have fit very easily into the Barca style. Um, I just think that Suarez being kind of the bull in the china shop is something we need that is the antithesis of our elegance in passing with Messi. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, you, you know, we've seen, we've documented and talked about in the recent games how his first touch is horrible and all these things. But, you know, in those two years with Luis Enrique, he provided so many other things that created so much more chaos for the defense. However, seeing Aguero in the 4-3-3 would have been pretty spectacular because he is a special player. And also he would have had that chemistry with Messi, that Argentine, you know, just a code word, you know, almost like a wind talker st- style type of thing, you know, playing out there. Um, so I think, you know, Aguero would have been amazing, but I don't think that Letty would have ever sold it to, a, to us for a reasonable price. So I think going after Suarez was eventually the best thing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that was absolutely the the best way to go. And it, you're right. Yeah, it would have been good, um, almost predictable though to get Aguero in there. You know, he's he's very slick, and of course, you know, he and Messi have that Argentine telepathy going on. Um, but I think you're right that the what Suarez offers in his physicality and his unpredictability 
is actually a, a good thing because because yeah, if you have too much of the same thing, you become predictable. And Aguero was almost yeah, he's almost too smooth, too elegant, uh, to to like mix anybody up to like confuse a defense. Suarez is such a wild. Uh, he's such a loose cannon, like um, pretty literally a loose cannon. You just don't know what's <laughs> going to happen, and th- there's a benefit to that. Yeah, I mean both both players are great, right? I mean, you're you're asking for you know Aguero is one of the top scorers in the EPL, so plugging him into Barca, I'm I'm sure he would have had great success because you know his experience uh, in La Liga, knowing the defense, working with Messi, um, you know just having that chemistry. Aguero has a, obviously a better first touch and passing ability than Suarez, but again, like we just like you just said as well, Suarez's unpredictability leads to this chaos that helps us in attack as much. You know, I just wish that he would limit his offsides. Those are just my my biggest pet peeves with him. You know, his offsides and his and maybe his biting. I don't know. Well, he's been much better with the biting uh, ever since he came to Barcelona. As far as I know, he hasn't bitten anybody that we know of. Well, at least not during a game. I, I don't know what he does in his off time. But anyway, thank you, Aaron, for that question. That was a fun scenario to uh, hypothesize about. Uh, the next one and last one comes from ZachAttack14 on Instagram. Uh, he says, and this is funny because this is like old, but it still is absolutely applicable to what's been going on. He says, hi, guys, just finished the Atletico game and had a question. I know Gomes has had a lot of criticism since he joined, but he seemed to play a solid game today and good link up with Suarez and Iniesta. Do you think the criticism is excessive? And B, what are your opinions on him possibly getting more playing time in the position he played today with our injuries? Also have to give a shout out to my fellow fanboy on Sergi Roberto's cross. So, yeah, fellow fanboy moment right there. Um, So if we do think the criticism is excessive, then we have to check ourselves on this because we're doing an awful lot of criticism of Combs. Um, And as far as getting more playing time in that position he played against Atletico, it it seemed really wrong to to us. I think we agreed that he did not belong on right wing. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, right? Like, this is going to be the contention, I think, all season. Because, like, I got a Twitter message from one of our listeners from Abdullah. And he also had a really great point about Andres Gomes. Um, he had a Graham Hunter uh, quote. Do you know who Graham Hunter is? Yes. Yeah, he's like a journalist here in Europe. He covers uh, Barcelona and Spain. Um, here's the quote. It just it's just talking about how you know that Andres Gomez isn't like quote unquote a bad player, but he's just a slow player. Like everything just happens in slow motion. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like this is always going to be our contention over. The lineup, you know, because like, for example, in last night's match, you know, why not Semedo? Why not Sergio Roberto, your boy? Andres Gomes, like, just kills me out there. I mean, like, yeah, you know, statistically, if you look again, probably made decent passes, had a high accuracy, but he doesn't give you anything. Like, he's not – like, now I can see Pauly is physically strong and I can physically – you know, I can see during the matches what he brings, right? It's like Andres Gomez is like some guy that they just like lost on a bet or something and they had to bring him onto the field, you know? It's like I don't know what he has over Val Green, but th- I mean you're telling me that like for example last night, just having Sergio Roberto instead of Andres Gomez, how much more dynamic and more possession we would have had? would have been a completely different game so yeah so this is this is always going to be something we're going to address i think all season long especially if val green continues to use them in the big games so 
I don't know. I mean, you, you know my feelings on this guy, and I know your feelings. I mean, what what else can can we do? Can we say? Uh, what do we expect from Val Green for, uh, going forward with Andres Gomez? I mean, I prefer him obviously in the four four two as a midfielder because he doesn't have to be a dynamic guy, you know. But in a four three three as a winger, that's just like no hope. No hope. Yeah. Now, on uh, in the game against Athletic Bilbao that we just watched yesterday, he was um, he was playing sort of half the time as a midfielder and uh, another part of the time as sort of a left winger. And I think that that actually did work out better tactically than putting him in right wing, um, mainly because of how just lopsided the whole team was towards the right. Because, like I mentioned before. Messi was over on the right, and then you got Suarez trying to like drift out to the left and into positions where he's not going to be able to do what he does best. So getting Gomes out there on the left, at least, uh, yeah, not still not being dynamic because I don't think that's his thing. No, it's not. But just, <laughs> just, but just being there so that Suarez can stay central that was at least slightly better. And yeah, the fact that he was kind of doing uh, one of two roles and shifting back and forth. But you have to, of course, recognize that the moment that Semedo came in for Gomes and Sergi moved into a more forward position, midfield slash attacking, everything changed, and I think for the better. But in any case, uh, we appreciate the question, Zach Attack 14. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. But before we get into the first team and their um, their activities over the past week, let's uh, well let's check in with Barca B and the women as we are want to do now because I I think it's important that we that we represent them on the show. So uh, what happened with Barca B this last week, Gabriel? I wasn't really paying attention. Yeah, I mean today they just finished up playing because we're recording here Sunday my time, three p.m. here Madrid time. Um, they just tied with Sevilla two, one to one. So they're still right in the thick of the table, right where we want them to be. They have fourteen points, so they didn't lose. So hopefully they just continue on to this uh, this trajectory of just staying in the Segunda, getting more experience, and then hopefully with uh, Alenia and Arnaiz getting more um, playing time that they'll get better call-ups. And as we saw against the Murcia game, they produce. So hopefully with the Barca B, they just continue to, you know, either tie or win and just stay in the Segunda. So looks good so far. Who, who scored the goal for uh, for Barca B? Yeah, Carlos Alenia scored in the third minute. So him and Arnaiz are just carrying the Barca B and just they look like they are the real deal. So hopefully with more Copa del Rey matches and more uh, Segunda division experience, they'll be on the trajectory to being on the senior team in no time. Yeah, and that's perfect. So uh, when we talk about the Mercia match in just a few minutes, uh, we can talk about Alenia and Arnais and and how they're contributing. So yeah, but they keep pretty much running the the B team, doing all the scoring. That's fantastic. Now, what about the women? What has what I have again? I've just had a really crazy week. What's going on with the women, Gabriel? No worries, Brian. You know my back is hurting from carrying this team. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just you. You know, last week when I was in London, you know, we were just a good team like this. So uh, for the women today, they are playing against Athletic uh, Madrid. Sorry, Atleti Madrid. And um, at the time of recording, they haven't played yet, but they are both tied at the top spot of La Liga 
Liga Femenina with 18 points. So we'll see if they can pull out that victory. And then also this week, uh, Lika Martins was crowned the best, you know, my favorite award show uh, from FIFA. You know, um, Lika is like picking up awards left and right, especially since she led the team, um, her Dutch team to the European Championship. But also it was kind of an interesting thing. I, I On social media, um, you know, FIFA with this best uh, award show, for me, it's kind of a nightmare. Um, but also for the women's side, two of the players that they picked for the best, great picks. Carly Lloyd, American, top player, and Lincoln Martin's top player. But the third player was this player from a second division American team that no one had really – I mean, people have heard about it, but not worldwide. She's a Venezuelan girl, Dania Castellanos. And part of the problem is that um, – She's a unknown player to be nominated for FIFA best, which a lot of people, a lot of, especially a lot of women's players were up in arms about because if this would have happened on the men's side, you know, imagine they would say Messi, Ronaldo and Todd Jones from the Dallas FC second division in the United States would be like, what's going on here? You know, um, but there wasn't even any kind of uproar with that selection. So FIFA still a little bit behind with the women's, you know, selection and giving the women and some credibility, but again, good for Lika Martins. She is obviously uh, having a great year this year. Yeah, and she is just on fire. If you watch the highlights of the the women's side, I mean, I wish we had a left winger like her on the men's first team. Honestly, like she's great when she's coming down that left wing. She can nutmeg defenders. She's got great moves and good pace, and just really good touch and great passing. So. Yeah, I think that's a it's a great pick. But yeah, the, this whole the, this Dana Castellanos, I mean, the, that pick is so weird and and yeah, it just flies under the radar for because the women's game is is still you know considered like a second class kind of thing, uh, which is unfortunate. And uh, I think we I personally strongly advocate for you know elevating the women's game. It's it's just as good as the men's, and especially now it keeps getting better and better and. You could see amazing technique, like maybe they they don't play like as physically or they aren't quite as strong sometimes, but the technique is there and it's wonderful football to watch. Like you could see that whenever the Women's World Cup rolls around, you know. But let's go ahead and transition into the men's game and La Liga. So checking in with La Liga as it stands, again, we're we're doing this before all the matches have been played, but uh, as far as we know right now, uh, we've got Valencia at 24 points. They beat Alaves 2-1 to on Saturday night, and uh, they also are unbeaten in the last six matches. Uh, the only other team who's unbeaten so far is Barcelona. Uh, they had goals by Zaza and Moreno. And right now, uh, we're recording this before Real Madrid have played. Uh, they're going to be going to Girona later today, um, and they also have a big Champions League match on Wednesday against Tottenham. With an against um, Tottenham with an with an injured Harry Kane, so I guess Harry Kane's not going to be playing in that. Uh, so we don't know what the outcome of Real Madrid's match against Girona is going to be. Although I think we can fairly safely assume they will win. Um, and there is a lot of uh, political stuff going on in Catalonia right now. I don't know how that might play into it. Girona is sort of a small town, but it's a very um, pro-independence town uh, so I don't know if that might get into the heads of the players of Real Madrid or not uh, of course I hope Real Madrid loses but the likelihood is that they'll probably grab a win uh, then there's also Atletico Madrid who are also at 20 points uh, they tied Villarreal on Saturday 
one to one with a nice goal by uh, Angel Correa. And oh, Gabriel, do you say uh, your friend went to this game, right? Yeah, one of my friends went um, yesterday, and he got tickets to the match, and so he went. And I was like, "Oh, so tell me, you know, how was the stadium? How was the?" He's just like, "The game was super boring," and I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so he said, "You know, they grabbed the first uh, the first goal, so they were up one nothing, and then Villarreal tied it." But the if you guys check out the the highlights of the Angel Korea goal, it's a really nice. His first touch on that goal is wicked, and he makes a nice play on onto the to his right foot to score the goal but yeah i was asking my friend i was like oh you know any other things and he's like yeah it's a nice stadium i was like okay thank you (laughs) (laughs) so maybe this guy just has a lot of personality no he does he does he was just uh busy you know and you know when you're busy and you just kind of just trying to get the main points across right so i'm sure next time i see him for a meal of food or something he'll tell me more in detail so and i'll report back to it on then uh, and now also like rounding up the top teams in La Liga, Sevilla, uh, they have 19 points. They beat Leganes 2-1. to one. But so, yeah, just to uh, round it up real quick one more time, Barcelona's on the top still with 28 points, 9 wins, 1 draw, no losses. And then Valencia, 4 points behind. Real Madrid currently 8 points behind. So if they beat Girona, they'll still be 5 points behind Barcelona, which will be fantastic. And then behind them, we've got Atletico Madrid and Sevilla. So some pretty uh, usual suspects. Valencia doing much better this year than they did last year. And Sevilla still, you know, keeping in the running. So this is a it's turning out to be an interesting league. But let's look back on the matches that happened this past week. First up, uh, we want to talk about the Copa del Rey match with Real Murcia uh, that took place in the Camp Nou on Tuesday. Um, Barcelona won 3-0, as you probably know, with goals from Alcacer, Delofeu, and Arnaiz. And uh, it was, I think, a really notable performance from Arnais. That was probably the, the, he was the standout young player. His goal was a killer. And he had a couple other really good plays that I liked in like the 58th minute, combining with Dina and like a really good dribble through three defenders. He got the shot off, but it was like right at the goalkeeper's legs. So uh, effectively it had no teeth, but I think he really stood out in this match. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I was impressed with the young guys. They, they brought it. Um, Delafeu also had a goal. Alcacer also had a goal. So really good for just everyone just to get a little bit more confidence. And again, this is the exact type of result you want in a Copa del Rey match in Murcia, uh, on a Tuesday night. You know, three nothing, comfortable win. Don't have to use that much of the bench. Um, and you were able to call up some players. Actually, I have a, I have a funny story for you about Murcia. So in my, in my school, I was teaching, uh, North, South, East, and West in English. So, you know, we had this big map and I was like, okay, you know, I'm thinking of a country, uh, you know, North of Spain, South of the UK, you know, and the kids would be like France. Okay. And this one girl, every time she would raise her hand, she would say Murcia. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm looking, I'm thinking of a country, you know? And she's like, oh, okay. Because obviously she's in Murcia. And her parents obviously told her that Murcia is like the center of the world, right? So like the other thing I'd be like, the last one was the best one. I'm like, I'm thinking of a country that's south of Canada, 
north of Mexico. And the girl raised her hand. I'm like, okay, she's got this down. She's going to say United States. And she's like, Murcia? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I was like, it's not Murcia. And the poor girl was like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, obviously you're from Murcia. Murcia must be an amazing place. So when I saw this last week, I wanted to tell you this story last week because it just always cracks me up. And I'm not talking like one time, two, like five questions in a row. She said Murcia to every country that I asked. So it was pretty funny. But anyway, so for uh, her, one, Murcia is a country. And two, it's it is the only country. It's north Correct. of everything. It's south of everything. It's east and west of everything. Everything surrounds Murcia. <laughs> Correct. It's the center of the world. Like I said, it's the 0.0 of the equator, right? That, oh. For her. So, How yeah, old is so this it was pretty funny. Uh, like eight, nine. Something oh, like this. this. So yeah, cute. yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if she's so, still doing that in like five years, we're gonna start wondering, like, eh, is she okay? But yeah, for right now, it won't that's be as it cute. won't be as cute either. Yeah. <laughs> but so, who was your man of the match in this Copa del Rey <laughs> game? My man of the match, other than Messi, was Deuces. I think uh, Deuces, like I said earlier, this was the perfect match for him to test, and you know, it was like a testing ground for him that he can just get a little bit more confidence. His goal was really nice goal. His pass assist to himself. That's a really nice move that he did. But I think he just had a really good overall match. You know, he didn't um, try to do too much. Um, he was in a lot of attacking plays. And overall, just a really good match for him. Uh, who was your man of the match? Oh, well, uh, I guess we don't have to stipulate that it was other than Messi, since Messi didn't even make the trip to Murcia for this game. Um <laughs> But in any case, my man of the match for this one was Mascherano, mostly because the hilarious thing about this game to me was how, for the most part, you you know you've got you got guys coming up from the B team, you got uh, guys who are sometimes getting the start with the first team, but not a whole lot. You know, Delafeo has been getting a lot of starts with the first team, but for the most part, your uh, your lineup for for that match was second stringers right guys who come in off the bench or they like come in if there's an injury kind of thing so for the most part what you had were 10 guys trying to impress Valverde for playing time and then you had Mascherano uh there to just kind of like clean up when things got hairy so my man of the match was actually Mascherano because he was just so chill out there and it's like he was the babysitter just like watching the kids run around like crazy they weren't like linking up very well they weren't really playing much like a team you know every time anyone got the ball it's like they were trying to do something really special with it all on their own to like try and impress or whatever and again like these guys don't necessarily play with each other a lot so you can't expect them to have tons of chemistry already like i understand that but it just seemed like every time denny suarez got the ball he tried to like do something he wanted to make a run. He wanted to make a dribble. He wanted to make something happen. Like, you know, sometimes the best thing to do is to just pass it to a player who's in a better position, right? Isn't that the idea? But in any case, you just saw that kind of thing all through the game. And then, like, whenever things got a little bit tricky, you know, the ball started getting a little bit close to Barcelona's goal, Mascherano would just come in and take it. And like, okay, all right, that's enough. You've had your fun. <laughs> let me Let me take the ball. Let's reset. And now we'll go forward. So my man of the match in that, and that was Mascherano. I, li- I like your analogy of the babysitter. I think that's a great analogy because that's what it was, right? Like he was like the older brother taking care of the younger kids. Uh, what about what about Vermalen? Who knew that guy was still alive, right? 
Yes. Like, <laughs> talk about like trying to get attention. You know, he's, he's like, I am still here. I can I can play in a Copa del Rey, and I mean, it's it is good that that he's getting used. You know, I think. It at least shows, you know, Valverde's intelligence to say, like, well, okay, obviously I'm not going to be playing Vermeulen in any La Liga games. He's not going to get any Champions League playing time. But at least I can give Umtiti, I can give PK a break with Vermeulen, you know, in these round of 32 Copa del Rey matches. So at least, you know, he's using him there. But yeah, seriously, where? <laughs> who knew? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like, it's funny because, you know, um, you know, I try to watch every match, especially since we're doing the podcast. But like this match was one match. I was like, eh, I'm just going to listen to it on the radio. I'll be fine because this is a match that, you know, beforehand we should win. We won. We were able to use the second string players as we talked about. And of course, on the on the return match, probably use the same lineup and they should win again. So just overall really good performance. For me, the most important thing is just, you know, getting the experience for Delafeu, Alcazar, Arnaiz, you know, all those guys just to get some more playing time under their belt. Now, do you think that Alcacer made a case for himself to get more playing time in, you know, the more serious matches, in La, La Liga matches? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, I think he should definitely get some more playing time, especially like I don't understand, like, why not just come in with like 10 minutes left in the game for Suarez, for example? Like, what's I mean, it's you know, Suarez is human, like, he gets tired in the 80th minute, just preserve him, you know. I, I don't use Alcazar for those last 10 minutes to give a little bit more push because Alcazar has got a lot of minutes under his belt playing for Valencia before and he can bring something so let's use him and let's find a role for him like that where we just use Suarez until the 80th minute and then put in um, Alcazar almost like a closer in baseball you know with fresh legs I mean we saw last night in the match I know we're talking about this Copa del Rey match but when they put Semedo in what fresh legs can do just changes the game you know all of a sudden Semedo was winning every 1v1 ball. He was getting to everything. And Alcazar can do almost the same thing. And he doesn't go off sides as often either. So that's also a nice thing. Yeah, I think that would be a perfect way to use him at, at the minimum. You know, maybe maybe giving him more starts, but at least bringing him in the last 10 minutes gives Suarez a rest and, and change things up for the last 10. But let's get talk about the, I guess, the main event match of the last week. This was a really good match against Athletic Bilbao. Uh, I mean, the result was good. Uh, they went to the San Mames in Basque Country. Uh, so that's always going to be a tough situation. You know Athletic Bilbao, no matter how well or not well they're doing in the league, they're always going to come hard at Barcelona. They run hard. They're going to make you run hard. Uh, and it, and it, it didn't disappoint. It was a fast-moving match. There was a lot of activity the whole time. Uh, a little, It was contentious, you know, like there, but it wasn't dirty or anything, which is good. Um, and of course, we got the kind of result that we hoped for. We got a we got a two nothing result with a goal from Messi in the thirty sixth minute, and another one from Pauly in uh, the ninety plus. So, getting into this match, what were your general thoughts? I think my first thought was the lineup. That was the first thing. Um, you know, going to this four four two again. I would just substitute Andre Gomez for Semedo and push Sergio Roberto up because. We know how your boy Blue Eyes, he's so good when he cuts in. That's something that is like like undervalued that he can do really well. And he did it a bunch of times last night. He wasn't tested too much. But I think my first thought was the lineup. You know, everyone else, okay, you know. And I... 
Brian, I can't, I can't believe I'm about to say this. You better, you better mark this in Barca talk history. Okay. I, I was actually glad that Polly started last night. <laughs> <laughs> you were so relieved to see Polly in the lineup. I, I mean, I'm serious. I cannot believe I'm saying this, but it's true. Because Athletic Bilbao, especially their forwards with Raul Garcia and Adriz, and just the team in general, they're almost kind of like a team. Like I used to play in basketball. They're a team that just throws bows, elbows, like left and right, you know? When you go for a header, there's an elbow in the back. When you go for here, there's an elbow in here, you know? And Pauly... You know, he's physical specimen, man. Like he gives us that strength in the middle that we normally don't have. And he was contentious. And you can see that Electric Bilbao was not used to his strength and speed and ability. So Brian, mark it down. I was, I was glad that Polly played last night and started. All right. Episode 50. <laughs> For the first time. Gabriel is glad Polly was in the lineup. Yeah, I mean that's a good point because, um, yeah, the he the way that he would deal with those elbows uh, is much different and much more you know head on than, for instance, if Iniesta had started, it would have been a different response and he uh, would have dealt with it in a different way and maybe not as successfully. Yeah, I mean sometimes you you know. You know how they always say like guerrilla warfare, right? You use the weakness to your strength and all that stuff. But sometimes you just got to street fight it out. And we were able to do that with this type of lineup. But, you know, I, I think that's why he picked Andre Gomez is because physically he's tall. He's big. He occupies that thing as a winger on the 4-4-2. But, um, yeah, so that was my first thought was the lineup. What was your next thought about the game, watching the game or anything prior to the game? Well, okay, it was weird for me to watch the game because, again, I was I was over at uh, Phoenix Landing in Boston, or Cambridge, rather, and I was there with all my friends and Megan, and I was essentially the only one actually watching the game, at least for the whole time, because my friends, I love them to death, um, are either not interested or, like, actively disinterested. My one friend, Dave, he's a great guy, and I've he's been a close friend of mine for 20-plus years. Uh, he's wonderful. He is all about professional wrestling, and he doesn't care about any real sport, you know, or, like, any non-scripted sporting event. So he's just sitting there on his phone completely, just, like, taking digs every few minutes. Like, oh, did he do a thing? Did he make the kick? Did he? What happened? Was that exciting? Dude, just... Yes, that was exciting. That that save that Ter Stegen just made was exciting. Shut up. So it was a little weird for me to watch the game. But um, yeah, my general thoughts were just that it was a good game. Um, I liked how... Just like as an entertainment spectacle. You know, Athletic Bilbao and Barcelona, they never disappoint. It's, it's always a, a fun, high-tempo, high-paced match. And uh, I was very impressed with... Uh, with Ter Stegen and uh, actually I had there, I was a little bit impressed with Gomez. Um, there were two moments that I want to pick out for Gomez. Well, this is, I guess this is almost kind of like giving him a, a participation award. He did exactly <laughs> what he always does. Right. Which is kind of like not nothing, but not anything particularly special, but he did have two moments that I think were notable and I, I will, I'll point them out. One was in like roughly the 15th minute. He was playing the ball out of the defensive half. He played it out out of the box to Alba. He got into space for the return. He got the return. He held it up nicely. 
and then he sent it forward again to an advancing Jordi Alba. And that was a good play. It got broken up because Alba sent a bad cross-field ball after that. Um, but then also in the 60th or so minute, it was a counter started started by Sergi, Sergi Roberto, our, my boy, Swiss Knife. And uh, he sent it to Gomez. Gomez puts it to Messi. And Gomez actually kept running into the box, which was a smart thing. And Messi made just like an absolutely perfect pass to get it to him. And then, you know, he screwed it up. His first touch was like a little heavy. Uh, and Nunez broke it up. Also, he made a good tackle. Nunez did. But the, those were two moments where Gomez actually like stood out and, and like did a good thing. But yeah, otherwise he was pretty much standard vanilla sky Gomez. Just like, exactly. nah, not great, but not <sighs> terrible. I mean, you saw the difference. I mean, I was, as soon as they put Semedo in and they pushed Roberto up, I mean, you saw the difference. Just how, how good Semedo was playing on defense. He got to every 1v1 ball. All of a sudden, the guys were like on Athletic Bilbao, were like, oh, this guy is super fast. Like, we can't do this move now, you know? And he just brought a different dynamic. And that's, I would just prefer to have Semedo start. Again, Gomez, you, you highlighted these two outstanding plays but i mean i want more you know i mean he should like he should be either really like dynamic attacking or dynamic defense not just like a six across the board on everything you know and because that's not what we want as a barca a fan you know we want something more dynamic so yeah he didn't screw up and so forth but again he was just in the way again just in the every time i see him i just like oh my god is this guy really on our team i just can't believe it yeah so, he's either I, in the way or he's just not sure where to go and that was the thing about that 60th minute one where he actually like gave the ball to Messi and then made a run into the box. It actually seemed like he had purpose in life for the first time in a while. You know, he knew where he was supposed to go and he went there. Yeah, and, and also that pass by Messi was amazing. Like, it's perfectly weighted, perfectly goes through. And, you know, yeah, so Gomez had a bright spot there. But at the same time, like, you know, it's just, you know, who knows what Sergio Roberto and Semedo would have done the whole game. You know, we could have had more opportunities and maybe Athletic Bilbao would have had less chances on goal against us. So, yeah, um, I really wish that Semedo would have started on right back and Sergi would have been playing where Gomes played. Exactly. We would have had a little bit more possession because Roberto knows how to possess the ball with Rakitic. You saw they've been playing together for a while. They know how to ping the ball back to each other to keep possession. And so that would have helped, uh, you know, with the defensive uh, possession against uh, Athletic Bilbao because they did have some opportunities. And of course, my man of the match, other than Messi, was Terstegen. And Terstegen was outstanding unbelievable made crucial saves and so brian i have a question for you is he a top three goalkeeper in the world now Uh, (laughs) i'd say so well okay here's the thing i i don't i don't watch enough football to be able to say for sure whether i think he's a top three goalkeeper in the world but he's getting a lot of playing time for germany while neuer has been out uh, he's obviously on one of the top clubs in the world, and he's obviously a great goalkeeper. He's and he's just been getting better, and he's only going to keep getting better. I think he's easily somewhere in the top five. 
I mean, this is the thing I saw on Twitter was that, you know, all our goalkeepers have been underrated. Like Victor Valdez, he was a great goalkeeper, but for some reason, he was considered not that great of a goalkeeper, but he was really good and top tier good, you know. And I think with Ter Stegen, when he first came to Barcelona, you know, we always knew about his passing ability, his first touch, how he was physical. But I think he just was last, you know, the last thing to come across was to be a leader and to also be a shot stopper like he's doing now because he had three of them last night that were just like, you know, as we talked maybe in other podcasts, like how the level, right, against like, for example, Olympiacos when we talked about last week with the free kick, Ter Stegen is making these clean sheet saves that are keeping the game. And we're having the best defensive output that we've had in such a long time. And that is also leading to the points, right? Because remember last year, we would score a goal, the other team would score a goal right back. And all of a sudden, we're in a tie game situation. So for me, Ter Stegen was my man of the match other than Messi. Uh, Brian, who was yours? Well, it's similar on the defensive end, I have to say, Umtiti. Now, just to go back to your man of the match other than Messi, uh, Ter Stegen, I mean, we got a good result, right? We got a 2-0 win, which is fantastic. But it would have been a 3 or 4-2 win for Athletic Bilbao had it not been for Ter Stegen. Just the saves he made alone saved that game. So, yeah, the goals were great uh, and beautiful. But, man, those everything that, that happened defensively to keep the clean sheet was so critical to maintaining this win. And so for me, the man of the match other than Messi was Umtiti for similar reasons, right? Because although a lot of chances got through for Ter Stegen to be tested, and he came up well, uh, the ones that didn't were mostly held off by Umtiti. You know, every time that ball came into the box, there he was, clearing it, making clearances, breaking up plays, making tackles. Uh, you know, of course, you know, out on the wings, uh, there was some also good defensive play from from Sergi Roberto. And I think actually Sergi Roberto is becoming a better uh, defender than he was last year. Uh, I still want to see him, you know, move into midfield and attacking more often. But he's a better right back than he was last year uh, on the defensive end of things. But in any case, whenever the ball came into the center, you know, it was it was the UMTT show. It was almost it's almost like PK is there backing up Umtiti now rather than the other way around. Yeah, I mean, think about the our middle now, you know, almost like, you know, in um in baseball they always say the depth or the the strength of your defense is up the middle, the pitcher, the catcher, the shortstop, or the second baseman. So think of that analogy for our team. So now we have Ter Stegen and goal, Umtiti PK, great uh, combo tandem center backs and then Busquets on on top of them. So for me, that's, you know, best in the world almost, you know, it's very formidable, uh very great skill on the ball, very good at heading, physical, all the things you would really want. So Umtiti, as we've noted before, my man crush, he is killing it. He is just simply having a great year so far. As they say on the radio, when I was listening to the radio last night, Monsieur Umtiti, Monsieur. Uh, yeah, so overall, just, you know, um, you know, like we, we highlighted earlier, you know, normally maybe a couple of years ago in the 4-3-3 would have had more possession and um, Athletic Bilbao would have had less chances. And now, you know, the style's different. It's going to be a lot of back and forth. But I want to highlight um, something that for me that Pauly did that was amazing, not amazing, but like why I was glad he was there. There were so many times where he held the ball where he was on a 50-50 and he just pushed the guy off. And sometimes... 
Athletic Bilbao, I think, always psychologically thought or think that they're physically better than us. You know, like they're going to go stronger at us. And when that, when Polly was able to do that in the beginning of the game, that set the tone for the rest of the match. So overall, very, very happy with the result. You know, again, no injuries, clean sheets, and we get the points. What else can you ask for? Yeah, exactly. What else can you possibly ask for? And another goal for Messi, which is always fun. Exactly. But, you know, the messy goal that that first, I mean, if you watch it, just, I mean, I just don't understand how he sees these angles at his height. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, like if you watch the replay, the pass that he gives into the corner to come back to, it's just, and he always has almost the perfect weight to the ball. Like it's never too fast. It's never too soft. It's always perfect. And that goal is just a great, you know, messy right now. He always does that lately. He just comes to the center of the box and he came unmarked. No one marked him through that box. And he just had a clean, clean look at goal and he made the best of it. And that was a good goal for one, nothing in the 36 minute. Uh, did you see, did you see the pass that he set up everything with? I mean, I think at the same time, I think at the same time, BN also did their graphics thing at the same time. Cause I was about to throw my TV out the window when they started (laughs) doing that thing. Like, live i was like no take it off i can't see you know so yeah well we have to we have to hand it to jordi alba on that play also because i know that you've had a lot of complaints and of course i'm sure many of us have had these complaints about jordi alba's inability to get a cross in and at least this time you know it was kind of a desperate attempt but he finally got a cross in and it was you know he had to drop it back because there was no place else for the ball to go it was about to go over the goal line but he finally got a cross in and just to the perfect spot, and Messi put it away. And yeah, that angle was just absolutely insane. I mean, Alba is really good at doing that that cross where he cuts it back. You know what I'm saying? But uh, you know, he still needs a lot of help with the cross in the air. That's the one he needs a lot more uh, practice on. But have you ever uh, remember the Classico last year? Uh, Alba did that drop back drag pass to Messi, and so he's got that pass down. So. Great goal all around. I mean, everyone had a part in it, and, and, you know, it was great to get the goal, obviously, before halftime as well. Yeah. Now, let's uh, look ahead to what's coming this week. We've got two matches coming up. The first one is going to be happening on Tuesday on um, a Spooky Day. Is Halloween a thing in Spain, Gabriel? Um, it's starting to. We have the first off. So people are starting to use that 31st. They're like, hey, we have to dress up and we have the day off tomorrow. Why not? Let's go party. So uh, ever since I've been here, it's become bigger and bigger. So I'm definitely going to dress up because at my school, uh, my kids are, you know, they're going to dress up as well. They love to dress up. So, yeah, it's definitely getting to become a bigger and bigger thing here in Spain. And kind of like the Americanized version of Halloween, not the Catholic like all souls day kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, definitely. It's definitely becoming more Americanist. The only thing that's missing are the women haven't caught on to being the naughty quote unquote costumes yet, like in the U S right. So like naughty school teacher or naughty, I don't know, cat, right. You know how they, uh, Americans love to do this for Halloween. Uh, that still has yet to come to Spain. So still okay, waiting. So next year I'm hoping to see more, more slutty guardia civil officers. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> naughty police officer, naughty librarian. Okay, here we go. Yeah. I I always thought it would be funny to have like, you know, naughty Amish woman, right? But anyway, uh like what would that look like? Anyway, so on the spooky day of Halloween, Tuesday, October 31st, uh we're going to be uh, squaring off against Olympiacos and this match will be in Athens. 
Greece on the Olympiakos home pitch of Karaiskaskis Stadium. I think you missed one S in there. There might be a missing S, yeah. <laughs> I'll try and get that right for next time. Um, so uh, you you did the uh, the workup on this. What are the preview notes for this match? Yeah, I mean this. I mean this match. I'm not really worried about it. We should win. We should get the victory. Uh, last time we played Olympiacos, we were a man down thanks to PK. So we, you know, this game should be pretty comfortable. I'm I'm more curious of what lineup he's going to use. If he's going to use a quote unquote B lineup, because we're already at top of the table. We're going to win the table. This game is almost like a throwaway that we could almost use the same lineup we used in the Copa del Rey match if we wanted to, almost because. We've won every match. The other teams are fighting for position. Again, I know he probably won't do that, but I'm just curious to see what type of lineup. Other than that, I don't really have any other players to profile. Last time we did the, I think his name was Seba, and he had more yellow cards than goals. So, again, he didn't I'm not too play. worried. And he didn't even play. And uh, maybe we should start an Olympiacos podcast. Yeah, an Olympiacos podcast. Because, you know, we need to make more podcasts. I don't have I don't do nearly enough podcasting in a week. Exactly. And of course, Olympiakos is the powerhouse of the Greek uh, Premier League, so we you know, it's a win-win. That's true. That's true. No, but like like I said, I'm not too worried about this match. Um we're going to go through we'll be fine. I'm going to I'm probably going to watch other Champions League matches that are more uh highly touted. Like um I'm more interested in the uh, Real Madrid Tottenham game, especially since that's being played in London. Uh Atletico Chelsea I think are playing again their uh counter matchup. So there's other matches that I'm more interested. I'll probably follow this, but I'm not too worried about this match at all. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I think that Valverde really should go for not uh, he he should give some other guys a chance. Like maybe Alcacer should get the start in this one. Um, you know, maybe even sit Messi out for this one because yeah, there's no way we're not going to win that group. It's you know, Olympiacos is as we saw in the first leg is not that formidable an opponent. Um, I mean, of course, Messi always wants to play, so if he wants to play, he'll play. But like, I don't think we really need him. Um, we don't even really need a win. If we could just like get a, a zero zero draw, that would be fine, right? I mean, I know that's not really the Barcelona way of thinking. You know, you want to go in and get a win, and you want to score goals and all that sort of stuff. But uh, from the I don't know more larger strategic frame of mind, you could just go in there with a a, a slightly weaker side and be perfectly happy with a a draw is all I'm saying. Exactly. I mean, this. I would just use this also as like a, a training lab to try a new formation or new tactics or new ideas. You know, this is a type of game. It's a throwaway game. I mean, if we win, we win great. If we lose, eh, it doesn't really matter either. I mean, we're still going to go through as the top of the table in this, in this group. So not too worried. Yeah. And it's such a luxury to be in that position. So why not take advantage of it? And yeah, try some experimentation, try some things out, see how they go. Now, the other match, this is going to be a harder match, I think. Um, this is against Sevilla in La Liga next Saturday, November 4th. Uh, but this is a home game. They're going to be playing in Barcelona at the Camp Nou, so that's good. Uh, and, of course, uh, Sevilla is looking good this year. You know, they started off really strong, and now, you know, other teams have kind of uh, gotten over them on the table. But they're still looking good. 
And I think that this, even though it's in Barcelona, they are going to give us some problems. So what's the what's the preview workup on on this? What's the scouting report? Well, they've been a little bit up and down this season so far. Um, obviously, bringing back your boy, what's his name again? The Navas. They brought back Navas, and they also have Nolito. Uh, my player to watch is Nolito, just because he always gets up for these games. Uh, before, when he was with Celta, he had some really great goals against Barca. So he really brings up his game against uh, Barcelona, also because we were flirting with him a couple of years ago, a couple of seasons ago to bring him in. But I'm, you know, I feel more comfortable that this is at home and obviously using the field dimension, all that type of thing. But again, uh, Sevilla has been playing up and down. They're trying to find their footing still with their new coach. Um, they had Sam Pauli last year who was a really demanding coach. And this year they have Berizzo. And I, I don't know anything about Berizzo, but I just know that, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago in Champions League, they got, uh, they got hammered in Moscow five to one, something like this, which normally a Sevilla team should do better, especially against a Russian, uh, team in Champions League. So, uh, we'll see. You know, they always bring it to us. They always look to, have their best games. And I also think that uh, Nanzi, Sanzi, one of their midfielders, I always forget how to say his name, um, I think he's out injured as well. But again, uh, we should be able to win this match. I would be, I'm looking at like a one nothing or 1-1 type of game for this one. Yeah, and you got to wonder how like that how their midweek uh, Champions League game is going to affect them because they don't have a squad quite as deep as we do, um, but they're still competing in the Champions League and they're in third place in their group. So you know, are they are they going to try and get good players in there? So that so that makes me wonder: Are they going to be tired come Saturday? I don't know. Like, there's a a lot of uh, interesting variables that could play into that situation. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point because, you know, they don't have a squad as deep and they have to go play in Champions League and they need to get a victory. So they might put all their eggs in that basket for that match on, I think it's Tuesday or Wednesday, and then come to the Camp Nou with maybe their B squad just to kind of get through Champions League qualifying and sacrifice this game for La Liga. So we'll see what they what they end up doing. Thank you, everyone, for listening. That's it for this week. Thanks for all the comments that you sent in. We're glad that we could have responded to all of those. So continue to be a part of the show. Uh, new listeners, anyone else, give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. You can visit us at barsatalk.net to find any channel that you would like to communicate with us on. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk to all your friends. Until next time, I am Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this has been Barca Talk. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network.